Thanks for listening to the Petapixel podcast. Catch new episodes every week on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Petapixel podcast. I'm Chris Nichols, and I'm joined by Jordan Drake and Jaron Schneider. Today, we're going to be covering some very interesting stories. What doesn't come with the Sony a6700? You might be surprised. If you've got yourself an Icon Z8, you might not want to tug too hard on those lugs. And we've talked about this before. The Adobe knockoff of Bodhi. Is it satirical art, or is it a real Abode. attempt to make an alternate version of software for the users? We're going to talk about that further. We've also got Never Read the Comments. Comments. Let's get to our podcast. And this week, our podcast is brought to you by OM System. Is your camera gear old? Is it heavy? Not weather sealed? Are you looking to take your photography to the next level? Feeling the need for an upgrade? OM System is happy to introduce an exclusive trade-in, trade-up promotion. Trade in any qualified interchangeable, you got to be able to change the lens camera for credit towards an exciting camera upgrade. You can unlock even more savings on the incredible OM-1 camera body or the OM-1 with the 12-40 f2.8 Pro 2, which is a wonderful lens. You can get that in a kit. Not only do you get a $200 instant rebate, but OM System is sweetening the deal with an additional trade-up bonus valued at $200. That's double the savings, so at $400 already, and then you'll get extra credit depending on the camera that you trade in. So yep. I ran some numbers on this because it varies depending on what camera you're, you know, trading in cuz you know, who knows what your camera's worth, how old it is. But I ran in like three cameras that I thought, you know, I have here that I haven't used in a while. Uh, a GH5S, a GH5, and a Sony A7 II. All of these I would I, I put in as excellent condition, which is like I think 90 to 96%. It's not going to be mint, obviously. I've used these, but like I take good care of my cameras. And GH5 is basically impossible to destroy. So, I mean, as long as it's not you know, chipped and dinged up, which mine isn't, it's it's in good shape. So, the GH5 is worth about $393 if you were to do the trade-in. The A7 II is worth about $294, so almost $300. And then the GH5S, if you're lucky enough to have one of these, because apparently Jordan was telling me before we started recording, they didn't actually make a ton of these. So, that's probably why they're, <laughs> they're more valuable. That's worth $536. So, that plus the $400... I mean, if you were yeah. like me wanting to go from video to photo, I used to do a lot of video, so I want to shoot photos now. If I was just to trade in my GH5S, that's like $900, more than $900 towards a new OM camera. That's yeah, a sweet deal. Cool. And I get to use the lenses I already have because I, you know, <laughs> I still have micro four thirds. Those will still work. What a great so, lens mount. Know, yeah. When we were at the camera store, there was lots of trade in programs where the companies would, you know, do this, but they would always do it just as like, a flat rebate. So they weren't giving you any additional funds for your actual camera gear, which always seemed a little whatever. You're basically, it was basically just a, a little bit of an add-on to basically give you an instant rebate, which they could have given you anyways. So this is actually really nice that OM System is actually giving you credit for that camera gear as well as these additional instant rebates. So yeah, this actually makes a lot of sense for somebody who 
doesn't want to go through the trouble of selling privately and doing all that kind of stuff and and having to meet people in your in in shady parking lots and you know <laughs> they might they might want additional things than just camera gear who knows so yeah i think this is a great way to you're keep giving a lot safe, away to there. be able to deal directly with om system and to get a, a good deal out of your gear I haven't um, seen this before from other companies, to be honest. Yeah, like I haven't that. really. I haven't. I'm not as as tied into it as you guys were from like working at a camera store, obviously. But like this feel, like yes, you can definitely sell a GH5s privately for more yep. than you know 540 bucks. But like, I'm one of those people who probably wouldn't do that. I don't like selling things. Chris's story has scared me away from <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now with In his shady furious oversharing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back alleys. <laughs> I mean, I I happen to like shady back alleys. That's just me. You know what I mean? Like, well, I've seen where you guys shoot sometimes, so I actually yeah. believe it. Um, <laughs> anyway, if you guys are interested in this, the incredible offer and bonus savings coupons are only available until o- October 1st. Yeah, so yeah, you will want to act sooner rather than later. Don't miss out on this fantastic opportunity to upgrade your camera gear and elevate your photography. Visit explore.omsystem.com slash petapixel explore.omsystem.com slash petapixel. That link will also be in the description below for more details and to kickstart your camera system journey today. Thanks again for OM System for sponsoring this episode. Awesome. And I think it's important to remember you're getting into a flagship camera here from OM System, right? Like it's a serious camera. <laughs> it is. I, I, it's you know, a great you know that this is now actually how you yeah, feel because I, I closed that sponsor segment. We've moved know, on, you but you're yeah, still going. Tab is yeah, gone. <laughs> well, there you go. So our, our, our viewers know that we're not just trying to, to schlep OM1s on you. Yeah. I mean, we have them ourselves. We like them a lot. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk some, some news here. Uh, I've got the stories that we put together to talk about today are all things that were somewhat contentious news stories they all had a uh, very polarizing comment section so that's why i picked them yeah um why don't we talk about that uh, that little lead that tease you gave chris about the a6700 what doesn't it ship with and why yeah. does it matter so th- this uh i think you're, i think people's initial reaction to what i'm about to say is going to be anger but then really if you start thinking about it, it's a little bit more complicated than that so basically the sony a6700 is the first camera that they're releasing i think that doesn't come with any sort of charger now just to clarify the 6700 does of course charge through the usb port um but they're but not it doesn't come with a cable a US- no no cable no brick no wall charger nothing so that's a really weird thing because up to this point, you've always been given at least the basic essentials to operate your camera out of the box. And here, I, I guess Sony's assumption is you already have this stuff lying around. Why should we provide it, right? So then cue the contentious diatribes. So, yeah, essentially, I reported on this from the perspective of not only is it the first Sony camera to do this, I can't think of a single other standalone ILC interchangeable lens camera or point and shoot that hasn't come with at least yeah. one way to charge it. I so I I thought like okay I get it. So Apple started this trend. They don't include little charging brick anymore in their with their phones. They still include a cable. Mm-hmm. You still get the cable. Yeah. You don't get anything with this camera, which stood out to me as super weird. And I I was starting to get flack from people that like everybody has a USB cable, everybody has a charging brick, and everybody has a wall charger, or at least some combination of those. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's true. Because 
I may not have the charging brick, whatever, the wall charger, because right. this is not the same charge. This is not the same battery as the other Alpha Series cameras, is it? Uh, it's the Z battery. So all the good Sony. <laughs> okay, so maybe it is, whatever. So I don't have one of those. Let's say I wanted to buy this camera. I don't have that one. Then right. I also don't have a USB-C wall charger. I don't have, I have like the USB-A ones, whatever. Right. But notably, all of those are in use. Those are all currently in parts of my house charging other <laughs> devices on dedicated spots. On top of that, all of my USB-C cables are also all in dedicated use. I don't have extra ones just sitting around here. I usually recycle those as soon as I get them. I was You're shamed into that. You don't have like a plastic bucket somewhere with all <laughs> of tub. your cables in it and like and they've all tangled together. You don't come on. I I did. Come on. I have we should show everyone our well, Chris and I, I guess. We can show everyone our tubs. <laughs> I used oh, to yeah, have a tub. I, I, I straight up have a tub right over there. I can see it with tons of cables. <laughs> I used like, to do that, on. and a friend told me, why are you carrying all those? Recycle them. And I'm like, you're probably <laughs> right. So here's an example of why I probably shouldn't have done that. But like, I'm, I asked my wife, who doesn't own a digital camera. Let's say she was getting into digital cameras. She doesn't have any of these things either. Yeah. So if she was to open the box, I asked her, like, okay, there you go. Here's your camera. No way to charge it. Would that be weird to you? And she that said- That would suck on Christmas morning. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you, if you weren't at your house- that would suck. Oh, you know yeah. I mean? If you're Imagine. like out on a trip and someone gives you a gift in your hotel room, <laughs> open that up, ready to go take some amazing photos. You went to Iceland. Oh, that battery yeah, okay. only going to come in with 50% capacity, right? They don't come <laughs> fully charged. But then here's the flip side of the coin. Even if you are in Iceland on your trip, which would be amazing, you're probably going to have your phone brick with you, right? I mean, this is... I have an iPhone. Is, That's a lightning charger, it's man. It's a lightning... Well, whose fault was that to are... get an Apple, Jaren? So, you know... I, the assumption is this, right? We all have lots of these bricks lying around. I've got two up in the bedroom somewhere. You know, my daughter's got one in her room for God knows what she has to charge. And and, and then I decided myself to buy, basically, I built like my own base station. Because, you know, of course, in our line of work, we're charging so much stuff, right? Like so many things. So I've got like a nice power delivery, high power, high speed base station with like tons of ports. And that works really well, right? Because then I don't have to go hunting for a brick. You know, but not everybody be, reviews yeah. cameras as a You career. are the absolute outlier, <laughs> no, no, no. Chris. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, 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 no. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, I, you know, the assumption is most people are going to have a collection of these. I mean, in fact, I would, I would say that most people actually probably have too many, right? They've actually lost track of stuff. And it's like, what's PD? What's not PD now? I have no idea. And they've got their their bucket with all their cables. But I mean, from from another point of view, and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I, I'm old school. I think you should get everything you need personally too. But I guess the other flip side of it is from an environmental standpoint, you're putting less wires out there. You're putting less unnecessary bricks out there. You know, in Apple's case, not providing it, they're probably saving a ton of money too. That's, that might be that's why they the do it. <laughs> so, like, are you helping the environment? I mean, probably a little bit, but the real thing here is that saves, even if, yeah. like, okay, yeah. let, let's get into this. So, let's, this is part I want to ask you both. We, we, a while ago, Jordan asked me to bring him like ideas of products that he could just, like, on the top, off the top of his head, tell me what the product name was and how much it costs. Let's see if you can do this. What is the USB C? wall charger sorry not the usb not usb just the wall charger these are two separate products if you were to get a wall charger for that that camera said type battery 
what is that and how much does it cost? Okay, so now this one is tricky because I never had to learn this at a camera store because every camera came with a damn charger and cable <laughs> in the box, Sharon. Uh, product number, it's always BC. I'm going to say BC, USBC, and I'm going to say US $40. Chris, oh, I think you're way this, off. This, this is I the wall. I know. I mean, I remember selling wall chargers, which again, uh, you know, Jordan's right. It wasn't very often that people would buy them unless it was an older camera where you had no choice. And, uh, or like this is the brick and the cable, right? Brick and cable. No, this this is is just the brick. Is that what you're talking about? Are you talking about wall charger? That's the wall. Oh, sorry. So this is that thing with the, the, the two prongs that flip out and stick into the wall. No cables with a USB-C cable. Oh yeah. No, I don't know. 40 bucks. I don't know. It's, it's probably more than that. I'm going to go. 50 or 60. The one that our uh, our writer put in here as the one that was required for this camera is the BCQM1. So got you, the got BC. the BC, you got the BC right. That's $80. What? What? The, for the wall For charger? the external, like, okay, like so can I charger. attach a battery to it? Yes. 80 bucks. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Sorry. All right. So if you need, if you wanted that, eighty bucks. Okay, fine, whatever. What if you just want a USB C wall charger? This is the yep. charging brick with the cable. See, that I was done. right. That's what I was. Okay, the, okay. I that's what yeah, I'm Forty is. bucks for that. You're saying forty bucks for that? Do you guys have any idea what this 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 <laughs> this product? Oh, I, is? see, I thought the wall charger would have been like a hundred bucks at least, but uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you got a discount. I'm going to say with fifty bucks because I thought we were talking about the USB. So my original idea was fifty or sixty bucks. That's what I'm okay. Going. All right. Well, this. 30 watt fast charger, the XQZUC1 slash B really rolls <laughs> off the tongue nice and nice and easy. Mm. 50 bucks. I can mm. comfortably say I wasn't close with the model number, which is good. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't know this one. Yeah. Uh, this is, I would say, very few people go out and actually purchase this. Yeah. But like if you didn't yeah. have a USB C wall plug and you just got a Sony camera, I feel like you'd look for a Sony one to go with mm. your camera to make sure it worked right. I, 50 you know, bucks. it's. It's kind of silly because I think what most people would do, and this is probably what I would do, if I got this camera and it had no USB wall charger in it, you know, no USB-C cable to a brick, I would go on, you know, Amazon or, or you know, gas station or whatever the hell. Amazon, and I would a good company like a, that's done nothing wrong. I'd buy, a tw- <laughs> I'd buy a $20 one. You know what I mean? I think most yeah, people how do you, would do so that. So here's the thing. How do you know it so has enough, enough capacities, enough, enough wattage to actually charge your camera? So Sony was the issue with Canon and Sony for the longest time is only very specific chargers would even work with them. I, I think Sony's pretty flexible. They um, are, yeah. But, but you know, know that. Does the average person know that, Chris? No. So, but I, it's funny that Sony's basically saying like you're either an existing user and you have this stuff already, or they're basically saying like we're leaving it up to you to get whatever third party product you want to charge the camera that we provided. And that, that always seems weird from like, you know, warranty standpoints and stuff. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's really weird. It's like, did you go and buy a cheapo wall charger that set your camera on fire because we didn't provide you one? Uh, sorry, too bad. I don't know, but it, yeah, it does war- seem warranty weird, gone. Yeah. So the last <laughs> thing on this that, that I find like the most unusual is if this was an environmental initiative, which is probably true. They have this road to zero thing that they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, why did they not say anything? Yeah. They didn't put a single word out there that they were doing this. Only after we received reports that it yeah. wasn't coming with that. Did we notice? Sony never said a word. So it's like, at least like, 
try and spin it, man. Like you, you oh, had a I chance. See. As an environmental thing, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they that, said nothing, not a word. <laughs> well, and it puts us in a tricky place too, because honestly, I don't recall if our you know review samples came with a core. I did confirm you did common. not get a final like shipping store set model. You got like a white yeah. box one, which is yeah, totally. curated. So I wouldn't, I, it would be, you know, I can't say, and this doesn't come with a USB cable because that would be very common with review yeah. samples that are shipped to us. So yeah, they didn't really give us a way to, you know, let people know ahead of time. And remember, pre-orders make up a huge amount of camera sales. This has really changed in the last like five years, I would say. So many of these cameras announced, reviews come out on YouTube, people pre-order it, and they all get theirs on delivery day. So yeah, it's a shame that those people had to wait until that morning to find out, yeah, you're not getting a USB uh, C yeah. cable and brick. But the good news is we're still doing our 6700 versus other cameras comparison. So we'll do a <laughs> section on can you charge it? Yeah. <laughs> there will be a clear loser in that category. <laughs> so, you know, Sony might be in hot water with this, but there's another company which we've already talked about before that also might be in hot water again. <sighs> the Nikon Z8. That yeah. Sucks. So now we have to give context here. So Nikon first had an issue with some of their cameras. They did a factory recall. It was handled actually, I think, very, very well, only on a very specific uh, numbered series of cameras. But now there's this other problem, and I would argue this is even more difficult because this is kind of like word of mouth. Some people are saying that they're having a problem where the strap lugs are actually ripping out of their Z8 bodies, right? So then this is tough because it's like, is this a is this a rumor? Is this like, you know, a corporate espionage? You know, so, you know, are other companies saying like, oh, you better tug on it. You know, who knows? It, it's very it's very muddy. It's very unclear. But there are some people saying there that their strap lugs are breaking off. And so some of the advice that people are saying is give it a good tug. <laughs> yeah, it's what's <laughs> weird about that even is it's not even just like. At the stores, the distributors, some distributors, and these ones appear to be mainly in Europe. So we had a, pro- a couple of protected sources, like people who came to us who on the condition of anonymity right. who have knowledge of this. Um, in Europe, they're actually telling them, like the distributors in, of Nikon Europe are saying, before you ship one of these to a customer, yank on them. If yeah, it pops it, out, go get another one. You need to mount a knocked put the strap around your neck and then just drop it drop from it. eye level yeah. and see right. what happens. That's the and test. Then, yeah. And then you smash two things. That's awesome. Yeah. The, uh, I, I'm not saying it was a good policy, but that is, <laughs> but the it would work. Policy. Uh, the, the thing is in the United States, uh, we were unable to confirm that they're actually telling them to do that here, but we are, we've gotten it beyond just a rumor. We have been confirmed that Nikon knows that it's an issue and what appears to be oh. the problem is like there's a tiny metal bracket that usually goes behind the lug and holds it to the body. And that little bracket is missing. Like it was never installed. Mm. So those lugs are kind of just sitting in there. So any pressure at all, and they'll fly right out because there's nothing. Oh my goodness. But they aren't able to tell yet like what serial numbers were affected by this. And it appears to be a lot of it is in Europe. I don't, I I was unable to confirm any that were happening in the United States. Um, Yeah. But that but sounds that makes like sense, a factory right? defect. I mean, if you had a production line issue where somebody forgot to put these lugs in, that, that would make sense that you get a sequence that might all go to one region. Like, yeah. yeah. That sucks, man. It does stink totally. because like this is like now the second issue that this yeah. has had. The first one was a lens based one, lens, lens mount. And like the Z8 is a really, sorry, the Z8 is Thank a you. very. Don't ever do that again. Thank you for your cultural <laughs> sensitivity. <laughs> it's yes, a very popular and also great camera. You guys both really like that camera and it's it stinks yeah. that it keeps yeah. getting these this bad press around it because it, it's, the, the it's camera in is like good. 
front runner position for camera of the year. But if we get like three more bad news stories, <laughs> well, that, it's tough. Three? Because That's it's, the breaking point. Three, three more, it, it five keeps, total. Yeah, at that it point, it keeps sounding I, like. like um, it keeps sounding like production line issues, right? You know, so Nikon then that's really did recently, and by recently, within like the last couple of years, they moved all of their camera production out of Japan to new factories. Yeah. Um, so this probably, along with the, the the Z9, which also had some small issues when it first came out, um, in addition to just not making enough of them, I, it still sounds to me like growing pains yeah. from new factory. Yeah, I, I feel like because the Z9, I mean, we all remember it was like a year of back orders on that thing. And they were like, we are going to deliver a whole yeah. lot of Z8s. And it sounds like they've really come through they on have. that. Yes, but they have yeah, surpassed in, that problem. Yeah. But the Z9 but was largely bulletproof, right? Like we didn't have many issues or really anything, I don't think, with the Z9. So I know there was one. I, I remember yeah. hearing one. Like, you know, nothing major, but this, it doesn't inspire confidence. Cause then you'd be like, okay, well, what's the next thing? Like, do I, you know, I got to torque yeah. on the lens mount and see if my lens rips off. Then I got to pull on my strap lugs, see if those come off. Do I then like, there was one issue there. The Z9 Z9 had a uh, release button malfunction for the lenses. Uh, like it wasn't oh, working yes. right. That That's was right. back in December of 2022. That's safer than your lens coming off the mount though. So, you know, Hey, yeah, but they fixed it. So like these little okay. things yep. keep coming up. They're all real minor, but you know, Whatever. Oh, it's too bad. Um, so I wanted to revisit this because we spent a section on it before. Um, a Bodhi. It's a Bodhi and a Bodhi. It's, it's, it's an abode. It's um, a Bodhi is a word. A Bodhi is not a word. <laughs> so <sighs> that, if you remember, listeners, this campaign was a Kickstarter to create software that would compete with Adobe. And they basically like just ripped the, you know, the logo off, but changed it slightly. <laughs> um, it, it's, it looked like satire. But that campaign concluded, and they raised about $235,000 from it, Yeah, uh, which is not nothing. It's, it's seemingly nothing in the world of software development. Yeah. But that's a lot of money. Now they have to deliver if they're going to stay on, <laughs> on like their, their deadlines by yeah. September of next year. They have to deliver something. I still, I'm still in the it's satire camp. I still am. He has like, argued that it was always serious, although he is a humorous guy. So that's clearly why they went with yeah, this. But I, I spoke I mean, to the him. original. <laughs> the original goal was fifty thousand pounds, right? That's that's really not a lot of money, right? So to me, I thought it really smelt like just satire. This is kind of like get some news, make a statement about Adobe, make a statement about subscription fees in general, and and big business and. Now they kind of, I mean, it's still not a lot of money, but they have enough money that I don't know. I mean, is he going to try to make? Uh, yes. Like, uh, yeah. But that's and beyond just being any, a joke. Any software developers, but like a project lead, that's got to be like a couple hundred thousand dollars salary, right? So, yeah. They're going to just like, okay, Brian, <laughs> you have one year, Brian, to build the entire Adobe suite of products. Or at least um, one, different enough. one complete software. Just yeah. one app. Yeah. Different enough that they don't just like sue the living daylights out of us. I don't know. I mean, yeah. It, He's I just going to spread it on more, Fiverr it's, and it's just going to all come together on Fiverr. You'll see. <laughs> he He's pretty confident that he can fight Adobe if they try and sue him. He has said that to me in the article, which I'll link in the description. He says that he says, I have lawyers and I've taken advice. We have solid plans in place. <laughs> those, those are but his does, words. 
What does that sounds like something my eight year old would say on the playground? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I have lawyers with solid advice. Yeah. What does two hundred thirty four thousand nine hundred dollars get you in legal fees? Is that like uh, <laughs> a couple days, few days? I don't here's know. the here's the thing. He also said they they raise more, much more than they had hoped. So like sure. I, yeah, like almost four times what he was hoping for. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, know. we'll check back in in September of next year <laughs> if there is not software available. Like, Put it on the I mean, calendar. he's saying world class, right? It's it's going to be a world class suite, software suite for design and photography. Uh, maybe I, I, I will. Ch- I will be back here in one year with a report on if this exists. It's <laughs> like, like I, if I haven't heard anything from them in August of twenty twenty four. Or I'm going to send an email like, so you guys have 30 days. How's that software yeah. coming? Yeah. Because you've got to deliver. We like would the, all like the way, to be the on sw- the beta program. The sweatshirt that you could have gotten if you were to back them is also not going to deliver until like September oh. of next year. So like, that's the only reason I, I wanted the sweatshirt because I thought it was funny, but I wasn't about to wait a year <laughs> to get a sweatshirt. You know, well, they're making the Brian time, knit though. a sweatshirt <laughs> by hand while also coding. <laughs> At the same time, you know, actually, that's an interesting thing, too, is maybe they'll maybe he'll build a campaign out of it, right? He'll make some merch and stuff. He'll get people on this sort of grassroots uh, concept and people will start supporting it. And, and I mean, they, they already have uh, like a color palette that you don't have to pay for. It's not licensed in any way. Right. So they're obviously going to use stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that might want to do a lot of work for free or very little money to support the program. I mean, who knows? Maybe you're being cynical. Maybe. Maybe you're being cynical. <laughs> oh man! Um, but so, Jordan, uh, sorry, Jaron. What's what's uh, one thing we have to address is what's your beef with drones, man? What's I got, going on here? I got at least two emails where they asked me, the editor in chief, to fire me. <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> for writing this article. Oh, like how dare! I have an opinion that does not jive with theirs. I actually kind of want to. I want to read well, one. Yeah, not, tell the tell the viewers what your opinion is first. <laughs> okay, yeah. so last week uh, I wrote an op-ed for our uh, email uh, called Clip, "Clipped Highlights." Y'all should subscribe. It's a great email weekly. Right. Um, it is just not worth the effort to put a drone in the air anymore, and that's my stance because as someone who used to fly a lot. I've watched the areas that I'm allowed to fly get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then on top of that, the amount of work you have to go through to even be allowed to commercially use anything you shoot is also absurd. Right. the, the, The tests, the fees, and then also getting approvals to fly places. And then also just like, what if I just want to fly for fun for myself, my locations that I can do that around here. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I lived in San Francisco before that. And it was just like, you can't, you just, you can't do it. Um, We actually had a company come to us who wanted us to try out some drone filters. And we asked our entire team who wants to try these. And everyone said, it's just like, any place that I would actually want to shoot with filters, like landscape photos, like where I could do a long exposure or whatever. No, no right. fly zone. Can't do it. So I'm just like, by the time I get that thing up there, let's say I finally do. I'm not even happy with the image quality. Like, I don't think that the image quality in drones has improved in five years. We have gotten, right. if not 
if not the same, worse. Like it's it's right. just like putting a bad smartphone up there. Sure, it's fine, <laughs> but I I have higher expectations now as imaging quality has improved across the board. I want it to be better than my smartphone, not the same. So that okay. was my argument. Like if if I'm going to go through the effort of doing this, just give me a better drone. Like what's the point of making this thing super small if I have to register it and I'm limited on where I can fly it anyway? If they're over, I think it's 250 grams, 249 grams. I'm already yeah. in that bracket. Just give me a bigger drone then. Just I, I don't care. Make it worth my time. Anyway, this opinion right. is, is supposedly so terrible that I should be fired. <laughs> and also, it was horribly written, which I take <laughs> personal offense to. According All to the right. Well, it's a shame we're going to have a new co-host next week. But I'm yeah, yeah I've got to fire be. me. <laughs> yeah, you got to fire yourself, and then I then you can't hire anybody because you're gone. So I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's. I, it, it largely depends on the region. I mean, that's a big part of it, right? And, and I, you know, every state's probably going to have slightly different rules, right? And then there are also national FAA rules on top of and that. And then there's national there's, rules. There's, they you stack. Know, here in Canada, we're largely governed federally in those regards, right? But, uh, you know, I would say here in Canada, we have a fair amount of leeway. We have similar restrictions with size of drone deciding whether you have to get you know you have to get it registered and you have to have commercial licensing you know they we kind of follow suit there but i don't feel like we have that much difficulty finding places to fly here um in fact when we did talk uh, in our recent video that we made about the uh the the latest mavic there um or sorry the inspire inspire yeah i was actually i was actually quite surprised how easy it was to even get access to fly one of those big drones and where you could. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm thinking back when we first had drones and it was like the dark ages, like you would go to jail and get fined $80,000 and stuff. So I feel like it's opened up a lot more. Um, That's funny. The same I feel t- like it's closed down more. Like, yeah, well, I think it gear. closed down and I think now it's kind of, you know, it's, it's regulating. We knew that there'd have to be some regulation, right? I still think it does give you an interesting creative look. I mean, obviously people are going to be um, wanting to use it, but uh, yeah, the the thing that gets me is a lot of people are flying these things, but can you use the footage legally afterwards? That, that might be different, right? You know, or, or you filmed in a place where you weren't supposed to film. I don't know. I, I, I know that I'm sure parts of Europe and stuff like you probably have a lot of difficulty flying these things. Like everywhere is going to be. There's a reason that all of DJI's like promotional footage for their most recent drones is like in Southeast Asia because right. or, or South America because like they can't actually very well show someone getting on a motorcycle and riding yeah. down a highway with a drone following them in the United States. That's no fair enough. You can't do that. I just feel like it seems kind of the, the problem I have with the drone industry really is just seems like there's only one company of drones that you buy. Like, let's be honest, right? Like, oh, well, my hatchet. That's hey, on that note, dangerous. Jordan, jump in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's just something that you touched on in the article that's very interesting with what's happened with drones. Is like five years ago, you mentioned as kind of like the, you know, the peak of excitement about that is when we had a lot of photographers and videographers who were also dabbling with UAVs at that point, Um, you know, trying it out and things. But what I've seen happen, and it's what we encountered when we were trying to do our Inspire video and why you're getting so much hate, Jaron, is this community of very dedicated, like aerial 
you know, video enthusiasts. And that is primarily what they're interested in. You know, it's not so much a crossover of like, Hey, I shoot a lot of video, take some photos and I'm going to throw a drone up in the air anymore. You're pissing off the people who are like, I am obsessed with aerial video and, or, you know, FPV drones and things like that. And I think those are two totally separate topics. (laughs) Yeah. And by me saying that I don't, I personally, me, Jaron Schneider in his opinion piece that is clearly marked in opinion and is allowed to said, say his opinion. Uh, I just, they, they took it so personally because I seemingly attacked a major portion of their personality. (laughs) I feel like, like, I feel like the professionals that actually have the licensing and have the accreditation and have the big drones, they're probably not mad at all. They're like, yeah, keep everybody off of our spot. Like, I mean, like they, they, they have a vested interest in being the ones that people go to, to get this footage. Right. And have that, they they probably don't want it to be like the wild West where everybody can fly whatever drone and say their drone operator and provide footage to whoever wants to pay for it. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So but, you know, anyway, I, I made people angry, apparently. But how dare like, you? But uh, we still I, love you, Jaron. <laughs> yeah. On the flip side, I saw a great many people agree that as and that all of them were basically photographers and artists who do like a wide variety. As you were saying, Jordan, they're not right. just drone guys. They yeah, were or or people who write for Petapixel, right? A lot of those aren't. I only do UAV FPV stuff. You know, right? We're, I we're, think it's a conflict of interest, though, for you to fire yourself because you're obviously going to give yourself like an exorbitant, yeah, severance golden package. parachute. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's completely up to you. And I, I don't know. I think that's yeah. Anyways, so thanks right. a lot. We're broke now. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think now is a good time to move into. Uh, what the, this, this whole podcast topic is about. And I'm yeah, gonna, what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to hand it over to you guys for explaining exactly why we're talking about this. Oh, you want to start with this first? Okay. Why not? All right. This well, is, so before we get there, I've, we'll do what have we been up to? And that usually involves Chris talking about what he brought to the podcast today. We heard it earlier because it fell over. Yeah, it's a, it's a hatchet. Um, so this is actually different this week because it's not um, what we did uh, last week. This is actually what we're getting up to next week. So for the viewers that are listening, I have a probably mostly empty propane tank on my desk. It says extreme danger, but you know, I mean, that's, that's just legal, whatever. And then this is Jordan's tackle box, his Disney princess tackle box, which I have here. Thank you for grabbing Uh, that for me. Yeah, you're welcome. And then I've got my hatch here because Jordan and I are actually taking the families. We're going out to the BC interior to Shushwap and we are going to camp. Uh, We're going next weekend and we're going to be gone for like a week and a bit. So some of our content is going to be camp related, isn't it, Jordan? It is. And what I'm really excited about, this is a long shot. We're hoping to pod. Sure. I like Elsa. Um, So we're planning to podcast from the beach is the plan. So we'll see how that all comes together. Uh, But I'm excited to see us try and output it hopefully more than 10 frames per second. It's going to be really something. And I'm planning on making this tan even darker, even darker if possible. <laughs> well, uh, I, my, my life is, uh, considerably less exciting, although I have, yeah, played, you're getting fired <laughs> besides losing my job. Yeah. Because of the demands of a few people who emailed, uh, I am, I've been playing, uh, a new video game lately and I put a lot of hours into it and I'm anyone who plays video games is probably aware of this game. It's remnant Two. Have you heard of remnant okay. Two, Chris. I've heard of it. Is that like a JRPG? No. Remnant no? 2 is basically a Souls-like 
So like Dark Souls, Demon Souls. I'm gonna look it up. Elden Ring. Up. Um, but it is oh. it mixes some like Gears of War gameplay. So you are it's third person with reviewed. guns in a Souls like in a fantasy. It is. I played the first one and I very much enjoyed it. The second one is so much better. Wow, it's so, nine out of ten on good Steam. Game. It's really good. It's a really so good is this fun the game. Big push now, video games. It's going to be this sort of Elden Ring, Dark Souls style stuff. Like, I mean, that's my been a push son, for a while. I guess so, right? Yeah. Like my oldest son was just saying he played through his Elden Ring character for the fifth time, starting from brand new, so it doesn't have New Game Plus because apparently there's DLC coming out, and he wants mm-hmm, to play with is. the original difficulty. I don't. I mean, like, anyway, yeah. That company that cool. makes them is called FromSoft, but there's a lot of other companies who have taken that general idea and put in other games. Anyway, I'm playing the heck out of that game. Loving Very it. Cool. Going to play some more this week. I'm hoping to beat it for the first time. But it's I've everything in time pres- to play video games. It, 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 zero it's, time. It, it's it's fantastic. Anyway, all right, um, Chris, take us into our next section. Okay, so what we thought we would do here. I mean, we we have our tech support. We're absolutely going to do that. But we thought, and we've been thinking about this a while. When we do our video reviews. There's lots of terms that we throw out. There's, you know, lots of technical terms. And what we thought we would do today is actually just discuss a lot of these because there's probably a lot of people out there. We get comments all the time where they're like, I, I, I'm having a hard time following what you guys mean when you say all these terms. And to be fair, we do assume that you're going to know these terms. So today I thought we would talk about uh, more with lenses. When we talk about lenses and review lenses, a lot of the terminology we're using, and I think it's it's not only good to know so you can follow along when we're talking about lenses, it's actually pretty fascinating just understanding some of the ins and outs of how lenses behave. And uh, yeah, it's educational. So we're going to talk about today some some very common lens terms so that everybody can play along. And we should mention this is definitely a part one of yes. like, what the hell does that mean or whatever title <laughs> we come up with. Uh, for this series. But yes, we will be going because there's a lot to go through here. And I think this would be a fun thing to regularly dip our toes back into. But kick us off, Chris. Oh, should I kick it off? Okay, so let's talk about the first big thing, which uh, which has to do with lenses, which is bokeh. And the first issue is how do you pronounce it, right? You said it correctly. It's all all over the map. It's all over the map. Yeah, I say bokeh. I mean, it's it's, it's technically a Japanese term. They coined it. And it's it's an all-encompassing kind of word to to talk about the overall character, the look, the feel, the rendition of how a lens is out-of-focus areas look, how the transitions from in-focus to out-of-focus look. You know, there's an art form there. But at the same time, admittedly, when we talk about it, it is very subjective, right? It's very subjective what people like in terms of bokeh, and it's very subjective in terms of what one person might consider pleasing and another person might consider harsh or unpleasant looking. Um, But we also try to talk about, when we talk about bokeh, we're also talking about other terms like what do specular highlights look like in the autofocus area. Chris, what's right? a specular highlight? Yeah, so a specular highlight. Thank you, Jordan, for asking <laughs> me. Spec- so a specular highlight in simple terms is basically small pinpoints of light, light in your background. So you could think city streetlights, you could think stars, you could think um, interior lighting, you know, Christmas light, anything. So a specular highlight's a bright pinpoint of light in your back. Well, a sun glinting off of water, these all do that. And specular highlights will create a very clear shape based off the shape of your aperture inside the lens. So it's some people call them bokeh balls. Uh, and, and it's just, we do look at it in terms of what is it going to look like? What, what can you expect? Because it varies from lens to lens. 
One thing I definitely want to get off right off the top is this does not, so many people will say like, um, refer to it specifically as the size of the specular highlights. And that's not what it's referring to at all. Like that, because that just has to do with the focal length and the aperture of the lens and your distance from your subject. That's what's going to determine that. This is the quality, like the shape, um, what we can see. You know, we refer to things like onion rings where you'll see texture on the inside of those specular highlights. Um, what is an onion ring? So that you're like basically like when you cut an onion in half, what that looks like? Yeah, you see like all the little circles, right? And that's exactly what you'll see with a lot of especially older aspheric element lenses. We, we could do a spheric later, I guess. <laughs> Lost. Um, Some of the and time. then uh, something like a soap bubble effect, Chris will often comment, where there's like a bright ring on the outside. And if you yeah. have that, the transition from in focus to out of focus can get very busy, we like to call it, where it's quite jarring as you move from your in focus to your out of focus plane. It doesn't smoothly transition. Absolutely. You know, there's other things too, like typically when shooting a lens wide open at its widest aperture, you'll get your roundest specular highlights because you're, you're not even using the aperture blades. At that point, you're actually using the round barrel shape as your aperture, right? Usually with most, most lenses. So you'll often get really round shapes shooting wide open, but at the same time, in the corners uh, of your frame, if you again have a lot of specular highlights, specular highlights are really most of the time what you're going to notice when you're looking at these shapes, but they can be quite visually, I don't want to say distracting, but you'll notice them. Like they can be, they can be there and they can be distracting. They can be pleasant, but often with a lot of lenses, when you shoot wide open, you'll get what we call a cat's eye effect where the specular highlights in the center of the frame are nice and round. But as you get to the corners, they start to take on this sort of football shape look to them or a cat's eye shape look to them, right? And, and that shape, actually, I don't mind it. It can be really interesting. It, it can often give you, if you're shooting a street portrait, for example, with lots of lights in the background, it can actually give you like this swirly frame look. And there have even be lenses like Petzval lenses where they really try to accept accentuate that or or allow that to happen because it could be a really neat look but it can also be quite distracting so we point out whether a lens has that or not or how strong the effect is Um, typically when you stop a lens down that effect goes away and as i was saying earlier we also talk about when you stop a lens down you close down the aperture a little bit now those specular highlights take on the shape of that aperture setup and if it's not round if it's a polygonal opening you'll actually get polygonal specular highlights if your aperture was hearts or uh, you know, x's or lens whatever you does this yeah. They specifically yeah, have like the little inserts to make yeah. them into those shapes. You would get heart-shaped specular highlights. Absolutely. Your entire photo is made up of smaller and larger hearts is exactly what's going on. Should we just do that in a video and not tell anyone we're doing it? Like in a camera review, not a lens review, and all of the example photos have heart out of focus, uh, some smiley face <laughs> out of focus highlights. I think that'd I'm be great. I'm sure the lens manufacturers would love that from a testing standpoint. I, I mean, I think it would lead to a lot of engagement in the comments. <laughs> so I think that's a great way to go. Uh, all right. So, I mean, that's a, a, a basic overview of, of, of bokeh. Often yeah. incorrectly pronounced Boca. Uh, that's on yeah, me. Jordan. But that's how I learned it when I was taking my very first film classes. And I'm a stubborn man and understand that I'm wrong. But I can't wrap my lips around the correct way it's to like say it. It's like me and ISO. I can't say ISO. It's always going to be ISO. He, he, likes, he likes Boca because it rhymes with our next topic, which is Loca. Okay, and this one, uh, I actually have no idea what this is. So I am okay. excited for you to explain to me what Loca is. <laughs> So loca is a short term for longitudinal chromatic aberrations. And, and we don't want to go too far into, I mean, we're trying to keep it simple. Plus, 
for the people listening, how can we really describe too much of this? But uh, essentially, when light goes through a lens, it's it's. I like to say when I was teaching my students, the light comes in well behaved. When it goes into the lens, it starts to get unruly and split up and go in lots of directions. And there's lots of fancy engineering and fancy glass to try to make all that misbehaved light come back to a nice, well behaved point again when it reaches the sensor. But sometimes some wavelengths of light kind of go off in different directions. They don't quite focus on the same plane, and so you can get these chromatic aberrations. And and essentially. CA chromatic aberrations show up as colors. I you I would say probably undesirable colors. What sometimes colors? along typically. typically, yeah. Along well, which ones? Green, Tell me which which colors typically. Typically green, magenta, purple, cyan. You can that get one a, a I, spectrum. I just wanted to make sure people knew. Yeah. And and so a basic chromatic aberration is where a, a where like light and dark meet points of contrast, you know, edges, you'll sometimes get a bit of color bleed and and it's important to understand that that is very easy to fix in post. Uh, your camera will do it automatically in JPEGs in a lot of cases and when you put the stuff into Photoshop, uh, you can correct for it very easily. So Standard chromatic aberrations aren't really a big deal, but loca is different. Longitudinal chromatic aberrations. Jordan, take it away. Okay, so longitudinal chromatic aberration is when as your subject transitions from in focus to out of focus, just like what we talked about, you'll actually see a split. So you'll have like it transition from a greeny teal to a magenta, and then the midpoint is your point of focus. Um, And where this can be a real problem is it's irregular and the size and shape of the chromatic aberrations is changing consistently as you move away from that point of focus. So this is why we like to point it out because it is an absolute pain to take out in post. You can certainly do it manually, desaturate an area, but especially like drives me crazy because if you have those issues in video and they're very pronounced, it's going to be in your video unless you're paying like VFX budgets to take that (laughs) out. Uh, So we do really draw attention to that. Now, when you're going to get loca is in, wide aperture lenses focus reasonably close. Um, So portraits, I mean, my favorite example, I think we used it on an episode recently where I was standing and there was like a wire fence beside me. And you can see it's a lovely portrait of me, but beside me is an entire fence going green to magenta. Hmm. uh, And it's very (laughs) unsightly. So that's why we always point it out. Uh, And this is something a lot of manufacturers are doing a better job addressing. Uh, It's certainly less of a concern than like, you know, five years ago when we started at DP review, it was a much bigger issue, but I almost feel like we've drawn enough attention to it that lenses are getting better for it. But if it's present, we want you to know. And if you're looking at slower lenses um, and especially like slower wide angles and stuff, sometimes we don't even talk about it in the video because if it's not potentially going to be an issue, you know, why focus on it? So uh, look for us to talk about it with bright aperture lenses. And, you know, if you want to test this yourself on your lenses, I mean, an easy way to do it. So it, it's a it's a color cast. Like your whole background will be magenta. Your whole mm-hmm. foreground will be green, right? But you'll only see that in cl- in cases where you have a lot of contrast and you have a, a fairly uncolorful backgrounds. I mean, if you've got a whole row of green trees behind you, you're not going to necessarily see that color cast strongly. But you know, we like to look for things like metal grates in the sun or or shiny stuff. But a classic example is just take a page of text, white, you know, white page of paper with black text and focus in the middle of it. And you'll often clearly see that the background goes one color and the foreground goes another. So, yeah, hmm. as Jordan said, very hard to fix. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, number three on our list of six here. 
field curvature. And the reason we're going to talk about this one is we actually got a very specific question uh, emailed to us that I forwarded to Chris and Jordan. And uh, they're asking, like, time and again in lens reviews when shooting a flat test chart, you guys will say something like, wide open sharpness in the center is excellent, but in the corner is not so good. Stop down a bit and the corners improve. Okay, but is that the lens is actually not sharp in the corners or is that because it's focused or on a slightly different curved field? Making that distinction (laughs) would be valuable. They're they're just not sure. So this guy's name is Gordon Bunker. Gordon, your question is about to be answered. Yeah, Uh, so I did respond to Gordon, but uh, yeah, this is a very common misconception is for, and this was standard online for lens reviews for a very long time as you focus on a chart at a distance, uh, you know, at all your different apertures and you just see how sharp the corners is. But what a lot of people aren't factoring in is the corners are further away from your lens on your sensor plane specifically than the center of the chart is, you know, the shortest way to one place as a direct line. So what you were actually seeing a lot of the time is that the corner was more out of focus. And as you stop down, the depth of field was expanding and it was becoming more in focus. And we were saying like, oh, this lens really sharpens up in the corners as you go. But that's not how people actually take pictures. Like if there's something in the far left, I'm not focusing on something that's on the same focal plane in the middle of my frame and then taking a picture of that, right? Especially now with mirrorless where the autofocus goes across the entire sensor almost, uh, you'd put your focus point on it and focus there. Yeah. So what we do, uh, Chris, why don't you explain what we do to make sure we're testing sharpness, not field curvature? Yeah. So what, what we like to do then is we do a first test where we focus in the center of the image and we just show how sharp the lens is at, at, a, at a wide open aperture and then stop down, usually a couple stops, um, just to see what the difference is between the center and sharpness. We then focus specifically in the corner of the test chart. So you move okay, the so focus point from the center yes, to the corner. Yes, move the focusing point, refocus, make up that different distance so that we're not dealing with field curvature is the issue, that it's not actually straight up out of focus. And we focus on that corner specifically to see what the sharpness is there, again, wide open and stop down. I think one thing that really confuses a lot of people that I want to clear up is this fact. I mean, lenses are always going to be sharpest in the center of the frame, and they do get softer to the corners, right? That's how lenses work. It's a circle. It's a sphere. You're putting a circle of light. You're going to get better detail in the center of that than towards the edges. And where the edges are is close to your corners in your frame. So I think that muddies the waters because people are like, oh, well, my corners are going to be softer. Um you then have to understand, well, is that because they're softer? Is that because of field curvature? So that's why we specifically focus in the corners to show what the detail is there. Um, and, and your corners will pretty much almost always be softer. That being said, there's also um, this, this concept of field curvature. Some lenses have more of it than others. So l- some lenses will have uh, just this, this concept where the corners will be definitely out of focus. As Jordan said, when we te- shoot our test chart, if we're doing wide angles, we have to be physically quite close to the test chart. And that would be totally unfair to test that versus a telephoto lens, which were much further away. I mean, with a wide angle up close, those corners are much farther away from the sensor than the center. And so you have to specifically focus in the corners. With a telephoto lens, you know, it's a different arrangement. Everything's more of an equal distance from the sensor plane, although we still do specifically focus in the corners. Hmm. But uh, 
it'll translate differently. If you're shooting something up close versus something far away, it's going to translate differently. Typically, the farther you focus the way, the more depth of field you're going to get. Even if the corners are further away, they're still going to largely be in focus. But if you're focusing on something up close, yeah, you very much have to be careful where you're focusing and why you're focusing. The last thing I will say is, there are some lenses that do tend to compensate for this, where the corners will be very much on the same plane of focus as the center. Um, and, and those will often say things like, that's a very flat shooting lens, or it's a flat field lens. But in the grand scheme of things, that generally only helps you out if you're shooting like brick walls and paintings. I mean, th there are some examples of lenses with extreme field curvature. And what that is, we should specify, is when you're focused on one point and the point plane of focus doesn't just stretch out horizontally, it actually curves towards the camera or away from the camera. And where I know a lot of people are really concerned about this is people who shoot group shots because you don't want the plane of focus wrapping towards the camera. If that's the case, in a group shot, you'd actually want to focus slightly behind the person in the middle of the frame. So more of the people are in reasonable focus. So it is a good thing to test. Now, what Chris and I will do is we look at the images where we focused in the center of the frame. And if the corners are dramatically out of focus, especially if it's not a wide angle, then we will comment on it. Like yeah. this lens exhibits some severe field curvature, you should be aware of that. Um, but a lot of the time you won't hear us mention it because most lenses are quite good in that regard. Um, so if Chris brings it up, it means there's a problem with field curvature that you should be aware of if you're doing like, you know, those group shots or shooting art reproduction. It's very mm -hmm. important to understand that. Uh, if we don't talk about it, it's not an issue. So don't worry yeah. about it. There you go. All right, so we'll do like a lightning round here uh, for the last <laughs> three because these ones are a little bit easier to explain. Breathing, ghosting, and flare. Jordan, what's breathing? Breathing is when you focus a lens from, let's say, minimum focus to infinity, most lenses, if they're not corrected for it, you will actually see the field of view change. It looks like it's zooming. Um, and this is one of the big differentiators between a cinema lens and a photographic lens. So for years, we didn't really worry about this. You know, if you threw a photo lens on a cinema camera, it was going to have breathing. If you pull focus from, you know, the classic example of like a person in the foreground turning around and they see the guy walk into the back of the room, you snap focus there, uh, a lens with a lot of breathing, the frame will zoom and it can be very jarring because we generally only want to use zooms <laughs> for dramatic effect in cinema. Uh, so it was bad if it had that. And photo lenses had it. Cinema lenses cost a lot more. They had elements in the lens to correct for breathing, which made them a lot bigger and a lot more expensive. Now, because we've got hybrid cameras, breathing is something that manufacturers are actually taking a look at. Like I know the current Nikon S lenses are fantastic for breathing. All of the Panasonic L-mount lenses, with the exception of the 51.4, are very well corrected for breathing. Um, that's a real priority. So that's why we touch on it. If you're planning to use it for video, uh, here's much you, how much you can expect that frame to move. Um, I really quickly want to touch on Sony and now Canon are doing breathing correction in their cameras, Software which is pretty side, smart. Right? Yeah, so yeah, as you rack crop. focus, yeah. it crops the image and then just slightly zooms in, in and out which portion of the crop it's using, which works, absolutely. You don't see the frame change, which is great. The downside to it and why I'm always, there. people are like, why are you still talking about breathing? My Sony camera corrects for it, is what happens when you crop your image? You're losing image quality. You're working with a smaller part of your sensor. So we're going to point out if a lens has a lot of breathing because it's going to have to crop in more. Way more. Uh, the worse the breathing, that. the more dramatic that correction needs to be. Yeah. 
And I almost feel like Sony has recognized this because there was a period there with like the 3514 and the 512 where they were like, well, you know, don't worry about breathing. Uh, we fix it in software. It's not even a problem anymore. Uh, and we were all like, well, we're cropping our image. This is terrible. Uh, so now with the 70 to 2 F4 that just came out, they were like, and we're optically correcting breathing with it, which is yeah. where they should have been the whole time. I'm thrilled to see it. All Chris, right, let's let's lightning round these next two. Yeah, ghosting and flare. Ghosting Those are flare, usually pretty related, right? You, they you, are related. So, uh, flare is basically you know if you've got a bright light source in the frame of your shot or often just outside the frame of your shot, that light's going to strike the front element. It's going to bounce around inside the lens. It's going to cause internal reflections. And so, traditional flare that we talk about is where the light's bouncing around in your lens, and it creates this washed out bright area. Now, to be fair. Most modern lenses, the, the lens coatings are so good at reducing internal reflections and the way they design the barrels and stuff. It's not that big an issue. I can't really remember the last time that a lens had like seriously bad flare. Um, and at the same time, a lot of people in post want to add it. You know, they actually want that sort of like washed out, sun-kissed beach kind of look going across the family portrait out there in the field. So, you know, flare is something I don't worry too much about, but we still point it out, especially if it's bad. Ghosting is interesting, though. So ghosting is when, um, besides flare, that bright light might actually create an actual colorful shape opposite the point of light. And uh, ghosting is an interesting one because you notice it more when you stop the lens down to tighter apertures. And you'll often see a green or purple kind of blobby shape. You'll often see actual individual ghosts for each lens element or group in a lot of cases. So you might even see a stack of it. Ghosting is something that you generally find very distracting, especially if they're trying to correct for it, but they don't quite get rid of it. That can be distracting. You also have lenses like a lot of the Lawas where the ghosting can actually be, in some cases, quite beautiful, where you almost get these concentric rings and it can actually look quite dramatic. But if you didn't want them in your shot, it'd be a real pain to fix. I, I don't know if you even could, to be honest. It'd be really hard. But at yeah, the I same mean, time, you'll see a lot of ghosting can be quite desirable if you look at movies, for example. You know, always they're going to pan the, the lens past the sun and you'll see all of these ghost shapes on purpose because it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. You just want to know if your lens exhibits it because the classic example is a backlit portrait and a dude's wearing a black suit and that is the worst possible and you got thing. Purple you've got shapes like purple and green body, blobs yeah. going all across his chest in the frame. So yeah. again, we pointed out so that you can be aware whether that's something you want or not if the lens exhibits it. Yeah. There's so much more to talk about. Yes, so, so much we more. Stay tuned so for much parts more to one talk through about. 19. <laughs> yeah. <there's laughs> hopefully that, hopefully that. I think there's only like one through six, but you know, hopefully that helps. But uh, we've got other tech support questions. Hey. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the rest of these in future episodes of the podcast. So make sure you listen to those when they come up. But yeah, let's Please move on do. to the tech support section. I actually have two questions that came in as voice messages. So I'm going to ah, play nice. the first one. This one is from Kevin Adam. Hi guys, it's Kevin from Scotland here. I'm loving your podcasts and videos and look forward to every one. I'm wondering if you use post-processing software outside the Adobe Stable. I've recently moved from Lightroom to Darktable, and while the initial Darktable learning curve was very steep, after a couple of months I'm getting results that are far superior than anything I could ever achieve in Lightroom. It's also free to use. So I'm currently working through my back catalogue to reprocess all my favourites with each of them getting a whole new lease of life. Keep up the good work, guys. I So straight up, I've never used Darktable. 
I, I haven't. And and so maybe that answers the question. In have so you used anything? As, like, have you tried Affinity? Have you uh, nothing? No, not really. I mean, I'm still in old school. So Capture One and Lightroom slash Photoshop. Those are those are the two that I like to use. So basically, if you have to pay a lot of money for it, I guess that's what, <laughs> that's what I use. <laughs> maybe I should look at some of these alternatives, right? Like, I mean, we're talking about this with a Bodhi and stuff. I mean, there's obviously it's lots a of Bode. other stuff. It's, it's a, a Bodhi. No, it's a Bodhi. Stop and saying a Bodhi. And Adobe. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. If Jordan keeps saying Boca, I'm gonna keep saying. Uh, <laughs> speaking speaking of Jordan, you don't use Adobe for video. No, I, I don't actually have any Adobe software right now. Uh, I really like working with Capture One. Um, I just find it's fewer steps to get the color where I want it. It's great for time lapses as well. Um, and yeah, that that has been my exclusive photo editing. Uh, for video editing, I use a combination of Final Cut and occasionally Resolve. If I've got to do some heavy grading work, I still like that. Um, and other than that, the only other photo editing software I've ever used is Chris. Do you remember Lightzone? Nope, don't remember Lightzone. I mean, I've used Silky Picks and stuff like that. I mean, ugh. oh, manufacturer but, uh, software doesn't count. No, yeah, but no, Lightzone. No, what is Lightzone? No. So they actually based the editing off like the Zone system. Oh, like, for man. like film. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, this is fairly intuitive, <laughs> and later realized obviously it's not when I jumped over to Lightroom. But uh, no, I just it occurred to me because I was like, have I only ever used Lightroom and Photoshop and Capture One? But no, there was one in there for a year huh. that was a little bit different. Uh, it's long Here's defunct. It. <laughs> I I only wasted everyone's time by bringing it up. But I <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's a blast from the past. I I. I, I got a free version and some sort of software package uh, or computer I bought way back in the day, like 30 years called Kai's Power Tools. And you could like transform and stuff. I mean, it was like the dark ages. So if anybody else has heard of Kai's Power Tools, you and I are a very small and weird group of people. All right. Next question. What lens? Uh, the, the next question. No, we is have another voicemail. Hunter Balavance. Oh, yeah. uh, this is another voice message. So I'll play it for you now. Hi, guys. Question for you. So I currently shoot with Sony and have a Sigma 16 to 28, a Sigma 100 to 400, and the kit Sony lens looking to replace the kit lens. I'm in between the Sony 24 to 105 and the Sigma 24 to 70. I shoot landscape mostly. Which of the two would you recommend for my use? Oh, straight up. I'm not going to recommend either one. I'm going to go with the uh, 20 to 70. Oh, oh. From who? Sony 20 to 70 F4, oh, my favorite lens. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the best kit oh. lenses I've ever used. If you're looking for 2.8, um, then the Sigma is an excellent option. Sure. I actually really like the uh, Tamron 28 to 75 as well, if you don't need the ultra wide. But if you like the ultra wide, you should be getting the Sony 20 to 70 because that is also, they, like, I love they that. They already lens. have a so 1628, right? So that's interesting. It's like, oh, yeah, the Tamron makes extra. I sense. think, yeah, he wants something in the middle there. Yeah. Yeah. 2875 would be really worth checking out. I'm a huge fan of that lens. Yeah. That would get you basically to fill that zone you don't already have. I think the Sony 24 to 105 is not good. I would not recommend buying that lens personally. It's not amazing. But the 20 to 70 is the best, like I almost swore ever. And uh, you could sell your 16 to 28 and just have that. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. Then you would only have two lenses. Here's the thing, though. That 20 to 70 F4 I thought was going to be absolute garbage, and it was fantastic. It really was. Anyways, all right. 
All right. That's my recommendation. Uh, we have some other ones. Uh, I'm going to bank those because we're going to move on to the regular never read the comment yep. section. I, there's so many tech support questions and all, this whole section was text. This whole like, episode is tech support. <laughs> so we'll, we, I promise if you we're ask us get a question, we will get to them. Um, so in the regular never read the comments uh, for, on the last podcast, this is from a I'm, I can't pronounce the name. I'm not even going to try. I, I, I can't do it. But they said, amazing podcast. Can you guys give insight on how you look through a camera system and see a product as a product and not as like a fan of the system? As a beginner, and this guy's absolutely right about this, <laughs> I feel like YouTube is full of like Canon versus Sony or like Nikon. Like he didn't say this, but then I agree. It's like Nikon versus Sony or Nikon versus Canon. Like, how do you sure. guys and, do that? And we just released a video with Ted Forbes and Canon versus Sony. <laughs> yeah. So we're part of the problem. Yeah. Totally. And, and, it, and it's true. But... I mean, the best way to do it is to become a camera reviewer because um, you really do get to play with all the brands and you really do start to see cameras as tools and not as fetish totems. So, you know, <laughs> totally straight up. People absolutely fetishize their camera. Totems. Oh, of course so, they do. I've just never totally heard those exact do. words used uh, quite <laughs> like that before. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why we that's why Jordan and I and I think any camera reviewer or journalist that works with cameras we always find it so hilarious and also at the same time frustrating when people call us fanboys because it's just not the case. I mean, saying something nice about a camera brand doesn't make you a fanboy. We have at, at one time or another said amazing and terrible things about all the camera brands, right? So it's, it's really more just you have, to, you have to have experience with all the different cameras, all the different brands before maybe you realize that they're all just tools and it's really about choosing the right tool for the job, which is really an emphasis of our, our channel anyways. But I get that if you're not into that industry, it's hard to really be able to play with all the cameras. So uh, my advice is you'll have to trust us uh, to, to try to give you the right advice and, and just really look at them as tools. You know, what's the best tool for the job for you? I think this is something we see constantly is people like, I don't want to hear from these professional gear reviewers. I want to hear from someone who's invested their own money in that lens mount. And I think a lot of the time that's not going to be the most useful advice because people no. want to validate their own purchase. And if they don't have experience with other systems, they're not going to be able to properly compare them. Like it's, it's true. Like a working photographer, a lot of the time isn't the best camera reviewer because they don't have time to use a different system every week, see how they all compare. So no. uh, that's where I think there's still a reason for Chris and Jordan, unlike Jaron <laughs> to remain employed. I'm sorry about <laughs> yeah. that, Jaron. Yeah. I will say, uh, if it was like listening to me, if you ever see anything that I write, if I seem to be particularly critical of a company repeatedly, over like a short period of time, that's because I actually love that company. That's the one I have the highest chance of being a fa quote fanboy of because when I love something, I desperately want them to be better. Like yeah. don't, don't fall into the rut of not fixing the obvious problems. Please don't, don't let me down. So it's actually, the that's opposite. why you're so hard on us. That's why you're so hard on us. <laughs> Wow. I'm just kidding. Up like that. You're great. Yeah, but so, great. Like, actually pe people will probably don't believe this that I'm actually a Canon shooter because I write, you know, I'll I'll write something nice about Nikon or Sony regularly and I'll see it in the comments that I'm some sort of like shill for these companies. I'm like, bro, go oh, read constantly. how angry I was about Canon because I love that company with a passion because that's what I've always shot on. This is why I don't really review cameras anymore because I really just compare everything to Canon. Um yeah. and it just hurts. When I'm, I don't feel like they're returning the love that I have poured to them for the past fifteen to twenty years. So, 
But Sony's got the best autofocus, and I'll fight anybody to the death. To the death. <laughs> to the death. That's true. They do have the best autofocus. And, I and then like... I'll collect my big fat Sony check. It's in my pocket <laughs> right now. I'm going right, to cash it that, in. That they never send. Uh, all right. So on the R100 review, the one question that I got uh, that was worth bringing up is... Um, I, this is from Chicane Media. I recently got into photography and all I have is an M50 with the kit lens. I don't want to invest money into EF glass since RF is newer and more up to date. So I'm considering selling it and, bar- and buying an R100. I know it's a complete downgrade spec wise, but I want to purchase a more heavy duty slash professional R series camera. <laughs> I won't have to worry about adapters and lenses. Do you think this is reasonable in my situation? That's tough because... You're at, it's absolutely reasonable to do what you're suggesting to do. And yet I straight up recommended that maybe you should go and get like an M50 Mark II or something like that instead. Or if they want to go RF, there's got to be another R camera that they can get that's better than oh, the R100. Oh, totally. I mean, if you can move up to the R50 or, yeah. You know, yeah R- so basically, the R50 says is get an R50. a massive upgrade. Uh, yeah, move up to that. But make sure that the lenses that you want are there. Like there's a bunch of M series lenses that there's no equivalent for in RF mount. And I understand wanting to invest in something that's future proof, but... They need to yeah. make dedicated APS-C primes desperately. No one is strange. No one's forcing you to change now either. You can wait. Yeah. Your camera's still still fine. You don't have to enjoy your now. M50's touchscreen and fully articulating screen and ability to charge. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So basically, you know, no, don't do that. Is what you guys not, are saying? Yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't get the R100. I yeah. you know I'd certainly look at some of the other Canon APS-C. But you know, Jordan and I were even talking about this. When it comes to those EFM lenses, the 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 APS-C formulas for the M series mirrorless, I'm no lens engineer, but I'm like, Canon, you've already made these formulas, right? Like all, all the tech's been done, all the design's been done. A lot of them are really great lenses. Why have you not migrated those into the RF mount? They've shown they've clearly can. They've done it with their super telephotos. Yeah. And they're great lenses. So I like, why don't, why, like, that would be the first thing I would do. I would just like remount them, stick them in the, and, and provide some more APS-C lenses. They sorely need yeah. APS-C lenses for that system. So yeah. I don't know. Christmas is coming up in half a year. I'm, I'm excited. We'll see what we happens. We haven't commented on the fact that there's now more bodies in the crop sensor RF lineup than lenses. <laughs> lenses. Three lenses and four I bodies. I did not right know that. That, oh. is, that is funny. All right. So on the Fuji review, your eight millimeter review, um, the main question we saw the most of is what is the point of carrying a such an ultra wide prime lens? So clearly the answer is the point of carrying it is because if you don't carry it with you, it's not with you and you can't take pictures with it. It's at home Thanks, on Chris. your desk. Thank you. So yeah, Great. the point of carrying such a thing is that you always have it with you. I, I That seems strange. Oh my God. <laughs> Actually I mean, answer is, the question, the spirit of the question. <laughs> it is a niche focal length. We've said that repeatedly through it. I find an eight mil very, which is a 12 millimeter equivalent, a tough focal very length wide. to shoot. But there are situations where it's really useful, and I would far rather have a tiny little lens that takes up no space in my bag for when those opportunities happen than lug around an 8 to 16 2.8 that is honestly like the size of a full frame ultra wide. So on that note, this actually, this next question kind of leads into that uh, from Joseph Simpson. Great answer. What about vlogging? Is it good for that? Ah, uh, it's 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 too wide in my opinion. Unless you're going to use it on a body that crops in video, um, I don't know. It, it's not a very flattering lens for the face. So I don't know, Jordan. You, we actually you joked about pork. that in the opening of <laughs> oh, that yeah, video. Like right. human faces look weird as hell when you get that <laughs> <Yeah>. wide. <laughs> 
you'd look really really far away. Your arm would look really long. You'd get a lot of background, um, which is odd because Roy's complaining that most lenses made for vlogging aren't wide enough, but that might be the extreme. This is too too wide. I find like 16 to 20 millimeter full frame equivalent is the sweet spot for vlogging where doesn't look too weird. Sorry. Things don't look too weird. (laughs) Jordan. (laughs) Sorry. But but at the same time, you know, if you're using it on a crop body, like, you know, like, sorry, a body that will crop additionally in video, I I still wouldn't. It's too wide. Okay. Uh, Is it good for architecture? Yeah. JC Bloom asks, is it good for architecture or real estate? Great. Sure. Absolutely. How are the, how are like the edges? Are things straight? Nah, they're not great, but it's the kind of lens where you've got so much leeway to then crop tighter. And if you're shooting real estate architecture, if you're doing HDRs or you're doing stitches together, you can crop and stitch and stuff. So I I think it would be a good option for that. But the corners, we never could quite get them to really sharpen up, which is is to be expected from an ultra-wide angle like that. And we should mention too, yeah, like Jaron, you talked about straight lines. Um, we don't talk about distortion in these anymore because every ultra wide lens that's come out from mirrorless has heavy, heavy distortion and it is corrected in software through your electronic viewfinder, all that. Um, so it's really not a concern anymore unless you're using software that doesn't recognize those corrections. So make sure yours does, but pretty much all of them now, especially like Fuji, um, support is quite good. Uh, it'll correct that. You'll never actually see the uncorrected images unless you go out of your way to find a software package that'll allow you to see the actual distortion of the lens. Um, Opal Yanka. Opal Yanka? Yeah, it's, I, I think that's how you say Opal, this. Opal Yanka? This EG. actually is somewhat related to what we talked about today, but yeah. like, how far away from the test chart were you <laughs> to shoot with that 8mm and did that, does that like they're just curious about the working distance in this case and whether shooting focus, no, focus towards it's infinity changes question. the corner performance. Yeah, it's a great question. I think we covered it. Yes, it does. I mean, you know, being so close to something, especially if it's a wide angle lens is not necessarily the most, it's not that it's an unfair test. Sorry. It's just that it's not a very realistic test because you, you're very rarely going to be shooting that close. So, so how close yeah, were you? you? Get further, uh, for the test chart, it depends. I mean, we, we have a pretty big test chart. You so know, for I the eight millimeters specifically, where like how far away were you? Oh, dude, I was like, yeah, I was almost touching it. It was it was pretty crazy. Not quite, <laughs> but I was close, like okay. within a foot. Okay, yeah. so that that answers yeah. his question. Yeah. And then um, finally, last question, uh, gamer NX USN asks: Have I never noticed before that it's a running joke for Chris to sit on the most uncomfortable surface he can find, or was it just in this video? It's not a joke. It's that Jordan is incredibly cruel. He's a cruel, cruel person. If Chris takes more than two takes to get through a talking point, then I punish him by putting him on an uncomfortable, uh, like a steep hill or a sharp rock. Or Or a chain fence. Sometimes I'll just like pour cold water on his feet. You can't see it in the take, but I'm just doing it as a form (laughs) of negative reinforcement. And as a result, Chris is actually very good at getting it on the first or second take. And he beats Um, me with a bamboo switch. Yeah, I mean, um, is it ethical? That's up for you to decide, <laughs> but it's certainly effective. So, got now, us this far. <laughs> to be fair, actually, in a lot of cases, I do choose uh, compositions of where I want to sit and what I want to shoot, and then Jordan grudgingly, grudgingly shoots those. So, uh, in the case of the fence specifically, I actually think I said to Jordan, I'm going to sit on this fence, and, and you can shoot me. And I'm sure he was like, are you sure you want to do that? It's probably going to be noisy. What, like, do we have to? And I was like, yeah, I want to sit on this. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a masochist, and... Uh, 
I actually hit myself with that bamboo switch. Okay. We're learning well, so much about your personal life this episode. It's really <laughs> been a great gateway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. With that, we are going to wrap it up. We are basically right on time here. Um, thanks again to OM System for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you go check yes. out those trade-in deals. They seem like a pretty good bargain. All right, gentlemen. Stay honest. tuned next week for us possibly on the beach or possibly oh, yeah. just we audio still, only. We'll yeah, see what We happens. need to figure out how that's going to work. So that's a cliffhanger <laughs> yes. for next time. It'll be a fun challenge. But yeah, thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys uh, soon. 